a message I titled, That You May Know. That You May Know. And you'll see why I titled it that when we get into the scripture. But I want to begin with a word of prayer because I have a tendency to kind of preach through this uh, as I go through. So let's just pray right at the beginning. Almighty God, we do give you praise and glory and honor. Father, as I just spoke, we thank you for your righteousness. Father, we know that it is by your righteousness that we are saved. We thank you for that. We thank you for your holy word, which I believe is a promise and we can stand upon it. I believe it is true. And Father, I just pray that your word would speak to our hearts today. I pray that your spirit would have thine own way in this place today, Father. To have your own way in each heart today. I pray that every heart... Every set of ears that hears this word today, Lord God, will receive the word that you have for them, Father. It's not my words, but your words, Father. May they bless us. May they fill us to overflowing. And, Father, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. May you be glorified in your church in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. So as I was began my little series in the Epistle of John, as I think I was in the second chapter, my wife says, where was the verse she was going to share? I was waiting for it. Those that know me best will know that 1 John chapter 5 has several verses that I can declare that are my favorite or my passages in the entire Bible. I can say that. I, I believe it and I know it. And they, know, they that know me know that I love these verses. So they're going to be in this, in this passage that we read this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, I read that slowly to let that sink in. Whoever, there's not just some, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. There's no if or maybes in there. You are born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And you know, that's the problem with some feel that God's commandments are restrictive. They're too restrictive. They don't let me do anything. They don't let me have any fun. They're not restrictive. They're pleasing. They're a delight to keep because we love Him. Amen? Amen? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is He who overcomes the world but He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Amen. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar, 
because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony. This is the testimony of God. So you know very clearly where this is coming from. John wrote as the Spirit gave utterance. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not, does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. That you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Maybe I should have titled this passage, or this message, The Passage of Certainties. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that in this world, there are but few things that we can think of that are certain. There are a lot of uncertainties in this world, especially in these times we're living in. I, I say that, but there's been a lot of uncertainties in all history, right? But there are a lot of uncertainties in our world. There's a lot of uncertainties in our lives. In 1789, Ben Franklin said this of our Constitution. He said, Our new Constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. He spoke rightly, didn't he? I could go off on a little tangent here because today they trample all over it. They ignore it. They don't pay much attention to it. So it appeared to be permanent, but I'm not sure how permanent it is. He says, but in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. <laughs> right? He was right? It's given unto men once to die. We're all going to die if the Lord tarries, right? And taxes. You are going to pay taxes one way or another. They tax your paycheck. They tax everything you go to buy, except for food in some states. They tax your gas. They tax your property. They tax our cars every year in Maryland, we, or West Virginia, I mean. We pay taxes on our car every single year, over and over and over, in Pennsylvania too. So maybe they should have said they're going to tax you to death. That's how they know you're going to die. Right? <laughs> Everybody loves paying taxes, right? But we love our roads, so yes, we pay taxes, and we love that our kids go to school. We need to pay taxes. But they don't need to tax us to death. James 4, 13 through 16 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. We hope that we will do this or that, but we should say if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Many of us can probably think of someone that we 
know that they trust in their riches. James rightly points out that the uncertainties of this world, when you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You know, we hope that we have a tomorrow. We do. You know, we think we do because we've had many yesterdays, right? We think we're going to have many tomorrows. But we cannot even be certain of that. I'm sure that when my cousin's daughter got into her car just a little over a week ago to go to work in Frederick, that she thought she was going to arrive safely at work. That did not happen. She lost her life in a car accident. So there's no certainties, right? We don't know. We don't know that when we hop on that airplane, we're pretty certain that's a pretty safe form of travel. But we don't know for certain that a flock of birds is not going to fly in front of that engine cause that plane to go down. You know when you go in for a surgery, even if it's a minor surgery, they have to tell you, you could possibly die. Even a, Sorry, John. They'll tell you that. John's going for surgery Tuesday. But they tell you that. They tell you what could happen. Because they are not absolutely certain that you're not going to have a bad reaction to the anesthesia or this or that. So there's very few certainties in life, right? There's all these possibilities. There's so many uncertainties. Don't trust in your riches. A whole lifetime of savings could be gone in one day. One day. Why should we trust in the riches of this world? And I know that's a lot of negativity, right? I'm sorry. But I'm going to get to the hope part. There is one in whom you can trust and know for certain that what He says is absolutely true. You can trust that He is absolutely faithful. You can trust that He is righteous. And that is God. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 in the New Living Translation says, So God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. He is our confidence. There are certainties in God because He cannot lie. It goes completely against God's nature. He cannot lie. It's not possible for Him to lie. He is the anchor for our souls. What is an anchor? What is an anchor? It's a big chunk of metal. You're right. It's a great, it depends on the size of the vessel, how big the anchor is, right? You go on one of those big cruise ships, they have a huge anchor. And that anchor's big chunk of metal and has teeth on it. And what's it do? It goes down, it drops to the, the bed, it drops to the bottom of the, the sea or wherever you are. It prevents that vessel or that ship from drifting due to the wind or due to the current, Right? So an anchor holds it secure. God's promises are the anchor that keeps us from drifting, from getting lost in the many storms of life. Is He your anchor? Anchor yourself to God and to His love and to His Word. 
Our passage from 1 John is filled with lots of certainties. I want to review a couple of these. I highlighted them. I actually just did this this morning as we've worked our way through the epistle of John. I might not have gotten them all. In chapter 2, verse 3, it said, Now by this we know, so there's a certainty, by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. In verse 5, God is perfected in Him, and by this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. In chapter 3, by this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. Amen. In verse 19, chapter 3, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. Verse 24, And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Chapter 4, Now by this you know the Spirit of God. Tells us, how to identify the Spirit of God. Verse 6, By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Then what I read today, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, God cannot lie. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is born of God. Does this sound familiar, being born of God? Remember Jesus' words to Nicodemus? One of the rulers of the Jews? You must be born again. Well, this was a very strange thing for Nicodemus's ears. What do you mean? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born a second time? No, yeah, ouch. <laughs> no, no, one cannot. Jesus shared with Nicodemus, chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Being born again, born of the Spirit. The word translated here again means from above. Amen. Born from above. You know, our natural births introduce us to the light of this, wor to this world. Not the light, but it introduces us to the world. Our natural lives are the beginning of our lives on this earth. The problem is that our natural birth also introduces us to a world of sin. Introduces us to a world of sin. It says, all have transgressed. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The imagination and the thoughts of the heart are evil. From the time we were young. Not just when we're old. We are conceived in sin. We are brought forth in iniquity. It says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. The carnal mind is enmity against God. 
And by nature we are dead. Trespasses in our trespasses and sins, right? By nature we are dead in our trespasses and sins. All sin, all sin and falls short. All sin exposes men to misery here in this world and the world to come, the hereafter. To escape from a sin, we have an inheritance. But we have to allow Him to change our nature. Being born again from above. New birth. Regeneration. Webster defines regeneration as to subject to spiritual regeneration or to change radically for the better. Amen. Some of us need radically changed for the better. To generate or to produce a new or to replace a body part by new growth of tissue. I remember years ago, my sister sharing with me how a friend of hers was giving part of his liver to his son because he had a diseased liver. And she said, the amazing thing is, where they take that part, it'll grow back. I'm like, I didn't know that. But my friend, it's not the liver that God wants to deal with. It's the heart. He wants to give us a new heart. He wants to regenerate a new heart in us. He wants to take that old callous and heart and heart of stone, if you will, and replace it with one that's full of love and compassion and kindness and His goodness and His righteousness. He wants to create in you a new heart. He wants you to be born again. Regenerate a new heart. Verse 4 said, It is certain that whoever is born of God, born again, has overcome the world. To overcome means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail against, to get the victory. If an army loses a battle, loses a war, they come home secretly, don't they? I mean, because they come home in disgrace. There's no fanfare. But if the army wins the war, they come home to a celebration, right? They're celebrating. They're lying in the streets. They're the victors. When one is born of God, they have conquered sin. They have conquered the sin that separates them from God. We have the victory over sin. That victory comes by our faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith is to have moral conviction. It is to rely upon Jesus Christ for salvation. D.L. Moody once told a humorous story. I'm going to share it. Two heavily intoxicated men who on one night went down to their boat to return to their homes across the bay. They got into the boat and began to row. And they rowed and they rowed and they rowed and they rowed. They rowed hard all night long wondering why it was taking them so long to get to the other side. But when the sun came up and they began to sober a little bit, they discovered that their mooring line had never been loosened and the anchor had not been raised. Though this story be quite funny, it is sad that so many people are trying to get to heaven in similar fashion. As Moody says, they cannot believe because they are tied to this world. Cut the cord. Cut the cord. Set yourself free from the clogging weight of earthly things and you will soon go on to heaven. Cut the cord. Believe. Just believe in His righteousness. Hebrews 11. We know the passage of faith. 
1 through 4, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Faith of the pilgrims defined faith as belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. Faith is also defined as belief that is not based on proof, a confidence or trust in a person or thing. Does everyone here believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States? I think. Everyone's nodding their head. I think most everyone believes that, right? Well, did you personally meet him? If you did, you're really old. <laughs> you're really old if you did. But no, you didn't personally meet him. But you read the history books. You were taught in school that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. You can go to Gettysburg and read on the plaque the speech that he gave there. You may have read a book on his life, his history. I've read a book on Abraham Lincoln, an amazing man. A very unlikely man to be president, but he became president and was one of our great presidents. We believe that because we read it. We see the history. We hear the testimony or the witness of those that did know him as it's passed down through history, right? So you believe. I believe he was an honest man. It said that he did not lie. So his wife didn't want to ask him, does this dress make me look fat? Because <laughs> he's going to tell her the truth. Remember, Hebrews said, God cannot lie. So you do, do you believe the testimony of God? I'm asking that question. Do you believe the testimony of God? Amen. Now after six days, this is Matthew 7, 17, 1 through 5. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Elijah and Moses appeared with them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. What is He saying? Hear Him. Believe Him. Have faith in Him. This is God's testimony of His Son. We believe Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's the history book. We didn't meet Him face to face, but we met Him right here in these pages. We met Him in the testimony and the witness of others. How can it be that some believe in Abraham Lincoln, but that they fail to believe the testimony of God, the one who cannot lie? Again, I'll say that I believe verses 11 through 13 in our passages some of the most important passages in the Bible, the most important verses. And this is the testimony. Remember, this is the testimony of God 
that God has given us eternal life. Amen. Given. Didn't say you earn this. Given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Amen. We're not talking just about this natural life. We're talking about eternal life. He has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son, Jesus Christ. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Period. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This is our victory. This is our confidence. This is how we can know for certain that we have eternal life. And the person that showed us that scripture many years ago in church is sitting right here in this church. Our spiritual mentor showed us that passage, opened our eyes up to it. You know, I've talked with, I'm not going to say many, many people, but I've talked with some people over the years and asked them, if your life were to end today, do you know for certain that you're going to enjoy eternal life? You're going to be with the Lord. People that have been in church for years say, well, I hope so. I think I'm a pretty good person. I've gone to church all my life. I've done a lot of good. I've not harmed anybody. Yeah, I think so. My friends, that's not the response that we who believe in the name of the Son of God should have. It should be, yes, I know so. Amen. I know so. Because He says these things I have written that you may know. My friends, God loves you. He doesn't want you wandering through life uncertain about your eternal salvation. Amen. Hear that word. He does not want you to be uncertain about, your eternity, about eternity. He wants you to know. He wants you to know it. If we have doubts about our eternal salvation, then we are saying that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon that cross was not sufficient to cover our sins. But let that sink in a minute. If you have doubts about your salvation, you're saying Christ's sacrifice was not good enough. It did not cleanse me. My friends, His sacrifice cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And some may say that, well, if you profess that, you are overconfident. <laughs> you are overconfident. I can't help it. My favorite verse ought to get me fired up, right? Amen. It's not my confidence in myself that makes me say I know that I'm saved, that I know where I'm going to spend eternity. It's not confidence in me, but it's my confidence in Him. Amen. It's my confidence in the work of the cross. And His Word tells me you can know. John Wesley, after John Wesley had been preaching for some time, someone said to him, are you sure, Mr. Wesley, of your salvation? Well, he answered, Jesus Christ died for the whole world. Yes, we all believe that. But are you sure that you are saved? Wesley replied that he was sure that provision was made for his salvation. But are you sure, Wesley, that you are saved? It went like an arrow through his heart. And he had no rest or power until the question was settled in his heart. Amen. He found the answer, and I believe he turned to 1 John chapter 5. <laughs> I can't say for certain. But I believe that's where he might have turned, right? Amen. 
Latimer wrote really once that when he was settled and steadfast about his own salvation, he was as bold as a lion. But if that hope became eclipsed, he was fearful and afraid and was disqualified for service. Many are disqualified for service because they are continually doubting their own salvation. How are you going to lead someone to Christ if you doubt your own salvation? It's not overconfidence, friends, in what we have done. We've got to tie 1 John chapter 5 with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friends, that is the gospel message. That if we believe in Christ, we are saved. We are born again. Believe in Him. Continue in Him. If you've been in church for years and you're uncertain, as Karen said, these altars are open. Amen. Come to them and pour out your heart to Him. And let Him come into your heart. Leave your sins there at the foot of the cross. Amen. Don't take them back up with you. Because you can know for certain, you can know for certain that you are His if you believe in His Son. He who has a Son has life. Amen. We don't need to paint anything else on that, do we? He who has a Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. He has given us His Word so we can know, not just so we can have the confidence, but so that we can have the peace. That might even be more important than the confidence. We have peace in our souls. So that we could sing, It is well with my soul. Yes. It is well with my soul because of the cross. Amen? Amen.